0: So we're going to continue with our series, this little mini systematic theology course that we have going on. Uh, A few weeks ago, we started talking about the triune God, about how God is one, yet he is three persons. He's a father and he's the son and he is the Holy Spirit. And then, so last week, then we kind of dove in a little bit deeper what it means that God is our father. And, And we looked at the Lord's Prayer in particular, those first two words of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father. And that prayer takes on a different meaning when we realize that we're praying to a good and a gracious and accessible Father instead of some God that might be distant or aloof or impersonal. And today we're looking at the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus, and we're going to spend a couple weeks here looking on Jesus before we move to the Holy Spirit. And it's impossible task to take two weeks and uh, teach everything you need to know about Jesus. It's not going to happen. Uh, so, but uh, we're going to try here. I remember when I started as a as a pastor when I took a pastoral position in Cuba, Illinois. It was about 20 years ago, and before I started preaching on that first Sunday in Cuba, I had preached two times in my life, twice, and then I was in the pulpit full-time preaching. And so I hadn't had a single preaching course. I didn't really have a clue what I'm doing. I still haven't quite figured all that out, but uh, I remember thinking, and I even asked our district superintendent at that time, so how do you know what you're going to preach every week? from week to week. How do you know that? And what I meant was, is what I thought was going to happen is that eventually, aren't you going to run out of material? I mean, eventually, aren't you going to uh, just run out of things to say? Well, it's been 20 years and I haven't run out of things to say about Jesus. And I don't think I'm going to. It was early in my time as a pastor when I was told to look at Scripture, and when you preach, um, look at these two questions that Jesus is going to ask in the book of Matthew. And if you can answer those two questions in your sermon, then you're doing okay. So let's look at this Scripture. It's going to form the basis of our uh, message today. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're going to start at verse 13. Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you find Matthew, go then to chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 13. It reads like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus asked two questions to the group of disciples that day, who do people say I am and who do you say I am? Now, before we get to those two very important questions, I want to set the scene here a little bit, give us a little bit of context here. They were in a place called Caesarea Philippi. We're going to show a picture on the screen uh, up there. This was an ancient city. Uh, Caesarea sat at a convergence of two different rivers, and so it was a a major trade place, place. The melting snow came down off of Mount Hermon and provided waterfalls, and the backdrop of the city was beautiful. There was lush vegetation around there. Things grew well around there. Uh, There was grapevines and mulberries and fig trees, and visitors would come to the city. It was kind of one of the first tourist attractions, and people would come to the city because it was so beautiful. But Caesarea Philippi also had... A dark side. Caesarea was a place of pagan worship, and it was a center for political power. The original name of this city was Panaeus, which was in honor of the pagan god Pan. Maybe you've, you probably have heard about him. or you've seen him. Pan was the half-goat, half-man pagan god. And uh, he was considered the god of shepherds and the god of the flocks. And he was also known for all sorts of wickedness. There was a, also a temple built here by Harold uh, the Great. Harold the Great was the Roman-appointed Jewish king in this area, and he built a temple not for the worship of God so that people could worship Caesar. And uh, after Harold's death in 4 BC, his son Philip renamed Caesarea as Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea was after Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Philippi, he just decided to name this place after himself. So this area was this mixture of of Roman and Jewish political power and a whole lot of pagan sin. And the disciples had no doubt heard about this place before. And I bet you when they started walking there, and maybe when they even asked Jesus, where are we going on this trip? And he told them Caesarea Philippi, they probably questioned, why in the world are we going there? Talk about a fish out of water. Here are these Jewish guys walking up to Caesarea Philippi, this pagan city known for its sin. And they were probably a little bit more than freaked out. In just a couple weeks here, or another week or so, we're going to have our general assembly for the entire denomination of the Church of the Nazarene. This would kind of be like the Church of the Nazarene decided that we are going to take our general assembly to the strip of Las Vegas. That's what was kind of going on there. Or, or maybe we're just going to have it right on the front lawn of the White House. That would be a good place. And so in the mind of the disciples, that's kind of what was happening here. There was also a monument and a temple to this pagan god Pan, and it sat over this cave system, and uh, this cave system was actually thought to be the entrance into Hades. The doorway to hell is at this place. In fact, if you were to visit there even today, there's a sign that says, welcome to the gates of Hades. Right there. And so this temple that you saw was this uh, built into the mountainside. Had all these little niches. Uh, They were carved into the rock. And people could put pictures or or idols of their pagan gods up there on that temple. And so I'm 100% confident that the disciples were questioning, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? Why would you bring us here? And this is the backdrop. This is a backdrop to where Jesus tells his disciples, and he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Basically, he's saying, even in the face of all of these pagan gods, even in the face of hell itself, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will never conquer it. It'd be amazing really an incredible word picture for the disciples if that's where Jesus said that. It uh, was also the famous place, maybe, we're not sure, but could it have been the place where Jesus asked those two famous questions? Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And so let's look at these questions a little bit this morning. If you're you're taking notes, number one, who do people say that I am? The Bible has a lot of different names for Jesus. We talked about that last week in the the different names for God. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9, it says, For unto us a child is born... To us a son is given, we know this verse, we, we say this every Christmas, and it says, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, an angel appears to the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary, and says to her in Luke chapter 1, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God you will be with child and give birth to a son and you shall give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. And then as Jesus's ministry uh, got started, he was met during the night in secret as one of the Jewish religious leaders came out to meet him. His name was Nicodemus. And in John chapter three, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so Nicodemus calls Jesus a rabbi. He calls him a teacher that comes from God. The disciples are trying to make sense of who Jesus is from time to time. And the gospel of Mark tells the story when Jesus calms the entire sea, Mark chapter four. And this is, it says there, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? A Samaritan woman once came to to Jesus and asked him in John chapter 4, "See, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And after betraying Jesus, realizing what he had done, one of the disciples named Judas in Matthew chapter 27 said, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. And then God, the Father himself, says this about Jesus. Matthew chapter 17, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so throughout scripture, there's numerous descriptions of who Jesus is. And I bet you, if you went out onto the street and you just randomly started asking people, who is Jesus? And you know, what, what is he all about? And how would you describe him? You would have a whole variety of answers. There's gonna be people that are gonna say, well, Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he's the son of God, he's, he's the king, he's Lord, or he's my friend. There's others that will probably tell you that they think that he's nothing but a teacher or a prophet, or he was special, but he was just really a good man. There's others that you will meet that will call Jesus fake, a fraud or a charlatan. What others say about Jesus is a good question for you because it it. it makes you compare your views of Jesus to the views of those around you. And the disciples said, well, well, Jesus, some people say that you are John the Baptist, and some say that you are Elijah, and some others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, they're saying, people think you're pretty special, Jesus, because all of these guys are now dead. Pretty, pretty special if they think that he's one of these guys come back to life but no one's calling you Messiah. And so here, in the presence of this temple of this pagan god, Pan, in this city of political power and sinful pleasure, Jesus gets to the point, number two, and says, but who do you, who do you say that I am? See, Jesus takes this broad question and brought it down to something personal. He says, who do you say that I am? Not other people, not the world, not your parents, uh, not your friends, not the government. I'm not asking you what Trump or Biden or whatever political party you might uh, follow says about Jesus. I'm not asking you what Taylor Swift or any other uh, celebrity says about Jesus. Jesus is looking for your I believe statement. He wants to know what you believe about him. He's looking for a real and a a personal response from us. He's getting right down to the heart of the matter. And we need to decide for ourselves what we truly believe. Is Jesus really our Messiah? Is he the Messiah? Is he our Savior? Is he our Redeemer? Or is he just merely a good man? Is he merely just a prophet, as some people claim? See, we need to decide that if God is sending his Son to earth to die for us on the cross, if that's necessary for us to have a relationship with God and forgiveness from sin, do we believe? Do we truly believe that without Jesus we would have no hope? And so Jesus is asking you, who do you, who do you say that I am? See, here's how I see the, the scene that day with the disciples. Jesus is standing, I, I see all the disciples and they're sitting, sitting down around him and they're all leaning in and they're, they're listening to Jesus talk and teach them that day. And I bet you when he asked that first question, they all participated. When he said, hey, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I bet you they all raised their hands and had an answer. Well, I heard so-and-so call you. Hey, do you remember when so-and-so called Jesus? And they all had a story to tell. But when Jesus changed the question, I see this group of grown men all turning into fourth graders when the teacher asked a question. You know what I'm talking about? They ask the question and all of a sudden all... Hey, oh. You don't want to make eye contact with the teacher at this point. He might call on you. Who do you say that I am, he asked. Jesus asked this entire group of disciples, all 12 of them. But it was Peter. Every class has that student, right? There teachers that are in the room, every class has that student that uh, when can't be silent, right? Teachers, you have that student that just cannot be silent. They're gonna speak up, and if you're one of their classmates, you know that if you wait long enough, you never have to give an answer in class, right? Because they are just gonna start talking. For me, it was my friend Brett in middle school. I sat at Brett's table in our art class. Art class was right before lunch. And so the art teacher would go around and she would challenge us, whichever table could be the quietest could leave first for lunch. And we would always be about 20, 30 seconds into it. And Brett would say, I can't stand being quiet any longer. And we were always the last table to be excused and go to lunch. See, the disciples were, were no different that day. So here this self-appointed spokesman for the group named Peter couldn't stand the silence anymore. And he says in verse 16, but Jesus, you are the Christ. And this is the first time we see the disciples actually calling Jesus Christ. This is the answer that Jesus was looking for. He was, his response means more than salvation. See, if Jesus is Christ, it really means more than salvation just the person we receive forgiveness through Christ literally means the appointed one from God so if we say that Jesus is the Christ then we have to move we have to move aside from the throne of our own life and and let him start to rule in our lives amen that's the game changer if he is the Christ it should change us If Jesus is Christ, if he's the appointed one of God, then we need to start paying attention to what this guy has to say. If he's the Christ, then we need to be willing to change whatever he asks of us. If we have become Christians, which literally means little Christs, if we're Christians and we're born again, then we must realize that the old self is truly gone and quit living as if we're trying to get it back. If Jesus is our Christ, then our mindset and our worldview needs to change. We need to start seeing things differently. And so in your notes, write this down. Make this declaration to yourself and to Jesus this morning. If Jesus is Christ, then what? What should happen? What should change because he expects me to what? What what does Jesus expect you to accomplish? What does he want you to do? Who does he want you to love? Where does he want you to go? If Jesus is Christ, then what he's asking me to do is not a suggestion. It's a command. If Jesus is our Christ, then our values and our actions need to align with what he tells us in the word of God. And so this leads us to another question. Jesus didn't ask it, but I believe it's implied here. Number three, who do you say that I am when others ask? How do you answer somebody when when, when they ask that question? What is it about you? Why are you different than the other people that I know? Are, Are you able to put into words? Friends, are you able to put into words what Jesus means to you? See, talking about Jesus is one of the most amazing experiences that you will ever have in your life. If you get to lead somebody to Christ, it is so fulfilling. You know that's what you're called to do. And I know what you're probably thinking, Pastor, you don't know how hard it is for me to share my faith with somebody else Yes, it's true. Some people are are very gifted at telling the good news about Jesus, but nobody has the gift of telling your story better than you. Often we think that we need to give some elaborate sermon. This is what Jesus has done to mankind, and this is why you should follow him. It's no wonder so many Christians are afraid to share their faith. But that's not what they're asking us. If someone is asking you who Jesus is to you or what is different about you, you know what they're not looking for? They're not looking for a sermon. They don't want a theological argument. They're not looking for this elaborate theological statement from you for the case of Christ. What they're asking you is what makes you different? How did he make a difference in your life? And I can't tell that story. That's your story. So share what your life is, or or share what your life was like before Jesus. Share how Jesus has become part of your life, and share how Jesus has transformed you. And and I'm telling you the more you share your story, the more comfortable you become with sharing your story. It's your story, Jesus is part of it. Share your story. If Jesus is your Savior, if Jesus is your Redeemer, if Jesus is your King, if Jesus is your Christ, the appointed one that sacrificed himself so that you could live in freedom and away from that pole of sin, then there better had be, there better be something different about us, right? So in your notes, ask this question to yourself or fill this out. I am different. How? Now that I have Jesus, I'm different. I'm kinder. I'm nicer. I'm more generous. I've been freed from addictions. I have self-worth. What is it? What is the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Because Jesus did what? What? What, what is the part that you uh, resonate with the most? Because Jesus died for me, because he loves me, because he accepts me, because he's my friend, because Jesus told me to. Fill that out for yourself. Let this be part of your testimony, your story. Maybe you're saying, but pastor, nobody's asking me why I'm different. Could it be because they don't see anything different? Perhaps Jesus is asking you, number four, who do you say that I am with your actions? Because, church, the people are are watching us and we're living a are we living a life that tells others who Jesus is? Are we living lives that leave people confused instead? I remember a few years back, uh, we had one of the Church of the Nazarene missionaries, and uh, they serve in a communist country, and they came to speak at our kids' camp. It was fun because I, we had our very own secret agent right there in kids' camp, and this missionary had to live their life in a way that would make people curious and start asking questions and They had to be very careful in how they spoke and because becoming a Christian in that country means that if you're a Christian, you can't be part of the Communist Party. And if you're not part of the Communist Party, it means you can't hold a job. And so talking about Jesus had to be done in secret. Here's the good news for you. You don't have to be a secret agent. This isn't a covert operation that Jesus has us on. You're out in the open. You get to live a a life that not only points to Jesus, but you get to tell your story to people. You get to share that good news. What kind of legacy are you leaving with your friends and your family and your coworkers or fellow students? Do people see Jesus in you when you leave these church doors? I've been uh, Holy Spirit checked, I'll call it, numerous times in my life. One of them is uh, I love to attend a sporting event. We've been blessed because our, our boys are in numerous sports. And so you'll often find Carol and I at one of their sporting events. And uh, you'll find us there on the bleachers and we're rooting. Uh, for our sons that are rooting for their team. And there's been more than once in my excitement to make sure that the referees are doing a really good job that I feel a hand on my shoulder or my knee and it's Carol silently telling me, hey, Pastor Brian, you're not showing Jesus with your actions So ask yourself, do people see Jesus in my actions? Do they see Jesus in my behavior? Do they see Jesus at that council meeting or that school board meeting? Do do they see Jesus in your business dealings? Do, Do people see Jesus when you're waiting in line at Kroger or when you go out to lunch today? Is your waitress going to notice Jesus as she serves you today? I think you get the point, what, who do you say that Jesus is with your actions, with our behavior? When you remember who Jesus is and and what he's done for you, what difference does it make in your life? Because we should be different. I'm going to ask Pastor Joel Parsons and and the other gentleman to come up as we get ready for communion today. They're going to hand out the, the elements. So, if, g- gentlemen, if you're serving, go ahead and, and come up and get the elements from Pastor Joel. You can go ahead and go to the row that you're supposed to hand out to. Today, we have members of our men's ministry uh, committee and others that are helping us today. And, uh, but as they are passing out or as they're getting ready to pass out the elements, I want to remind you, The church of the Nazarene has an open communion, which means that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've been forgiven by him, then, then you are welcome to take communion. If you've never asked Jesus to be your King, your Lord, your Savior, if you've never asked him for forgiveness of your sin, then you have that opportunity today. Because Jesus is here. He's with us and he's asking you, who do you say that I am? Not your mom, not your dad, not your friends, not even your pastor. Who do you say that I am? You need to be able to answer that question yourself. And if you believe that Jesus is the one, the one that can forgive you of your sins, and let's bow our heads and pray this prayer, something like this together. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I need you to come into my life and and lead it. And I'm going to do my best to follow. And I declare today that you are my Savior. You are my Lord. And I want to give my life to you. Amen. See, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to celebrate with you. Uh, once a month and back in room 101, we have a class for anybody that would like to know more about the, the church. If you're new or you just have questions, Pastor Callie is going to be back there. I'm going to be back there as well. If you prayed this prayer, maybe for the first time, they'll let me know. Let us celebrate with you. We want to talk about your Jesus journey with you. So gentlemen, would you pass out communion today?
1: That's the question that we all must answer, isn't it? And in this moment, in this time when we come to take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together, when we take this, what we are declaring is with Peter. Yes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And like Pastor Brian said, we will spend the rest of our lives Figuring out exactly what that means. We can never run out of words to say about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was betrayed. Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, This is my body broken for you. And after the supper he took the cup and he gave it to each of them and he said this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. And so every time you take the bread and you take the drink we do it in his name until the Lord comes. So my friend take the bread eat and be thankful and may it preserve you blameless unto salvation and then I want to ask you to do something maybe a little different that cup you're holding take that and just smell it first you smell that that sweet smell think of that as the sweet smell, the sweet taste of your salvation. We broke the old covenant, but that's why our God made a new covenant with us, shedding his blood for us. So friend, take and drink and be thankful. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of salvation. Would you stand with me and receive the benediction? You groped your way through the murk at one time, but no longer you have stepped out into the bright light of Christ. So no more stumbling around. That which is good and pure and right and holy, you know it, go and do it. Go in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in peace and to serve. may be dismissed.